Outcomes Rocket Nation, Saul Marquez here. I want to talk to you about growing your practice. Fullscript is a virtual dispensing platform that helps practitioners dispense professional-grade supplements, improve patient adherence, and grow their practice from anywhere. When you write prescriptions, they're sent to your patients via text or email, and when they place an order, their supplements get shipped right to their door, eliminating your inventory costs. It's loaded with features like EHR integration to save time, patient wellness content to stay top of mind, and adjustable profit margins to control revenue. It integrates with your way of working and with your patients' day-to-day lives. Best part of it all, it's free. So try Fullscript today. If you're considering adding supplements to your treatment plans, visit fullscript.com rocket for an extensive guide on supplements and drug nutrient depletion and interactions. Visit fullscript.com rocket. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. They're the co-founders of Thrive, Inc. Well, let me tell you a little bit about them. Chris Marie Campbell is an Olympic rower, and Susan Clark is a former marriage therapist and equus coach. And they're the authors of The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, and The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. They also have a podcast with the same name, The Beauty of Conflict, for dealing with conflict at work and at home. And they're here to talk to us about how we deal with the conflict in the C-suite, how we deal with conflict with our stakeholders across healthcare organizations and companies alike. It's going to be an exciting podcast because these ladies know what they're doing. So number one, they've helped a lot of companies, Fortune 100 companies like Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, AT&T. Gates Foundation. The list is long. They've been on the Today Show and NBC. But the thing that you should walk away with today is that they're going to be able to help you walk away with some great options in how to deal with that conflict that most likely you're dealing with today more effectively so you can get the results you're looking for for yourself, your patients, improve outcomes and business success. So I'm super privileged to have them here today. I want to give both of you a warm welcome. Thanks so much. Oh, we're glad to be here. And so, you know, I love the dynamic that both of you bring to conflict management. I mean, with a name like the beauty of conflict, (laughs) (laughs) it tells you something about how you both approach conflict. So before we jump into your methodology and, and what exactly you guys are doing in healthcare, I'd love to learn more about what inspires the work. (laughs) You have to know, Saul, this is Chris Marie. We did not call it the joy of conflict, the fun, the ease of conflict. We, (laughs) We called it beauty because we think when people can learn to hold for the tension, that innovative solutions emerge. And I did not, you know, grow up thinking I wanted to deal with conflict in my professional career. I was a, uh, my dad was an army colonel. And so Mm. every night at dinner, he was pretty angry about something. And so I learned to be a professional conflict avoider. So I would diffuse the conflict. I'd change the subject. I'd, you know, rephrase. My older sister seemed to like to push his buttons. So I'd always rephrase what she was saying. And it it definitely set the tone for me working in corporate boardrooms, you know, around executive teams, because it's like sitting around the dinner table. And so I became a pleaser and achiever, which took me to the Olympic Games. I was a Boeing flight test engineer, one woman out of 80 men. And then I went on to work at Arthur Anderson. I got my MBA and I realized while I was an achiever and a pleaser and that worked, 
my wanting to keep everything smooth really became a career limiting move. I was leading a project at a, a software company in the Pacific Northwest and I had a team of six and this was going to be like a six month project and we were setting up the strategy. And my manager came in and he said, he's a senior manager and he came in and said, no, you're not going to do that. You need to do this other whole nother strategy. And I thought that's not going to solve the client's problem. But you know, I didn't say that because I'm a conflict avoider. So I asked a question like, do you think that's going to solve the client's problem? And he said, yes, get to work. And I was catapulted back to the colonel's dinner table. And I followed, you know, like a good soldier did the strategy he wanted at the end of the project. We did not solve the client's problem. And uh, we wanted to garner more work though at this client. So all the partners at Arthur Anderson came in, we invited the client, all our project managers were sitting around the edges of the room. And we asked, you know, the partners asked, so how are we doing? (laughs) This executive vice president pointed to me and he said, well, you know that project Chris Marie led? That was a disaster, a complete disaster. Oh, I melted in shame. My manager was in the room. Did he say anything? No. And I deemed right then, I've got to figure out how to deal with conflict because I don't want this to happen to me again. And I met Susan Clark, who you'll hear from in a minute. And I saw her deal with a group in conflict in a really powerful way. And I thought it was real. They got to real results and it wasn't necessarily neat and tidy, but it was powerful. And I thought, I want to learn how to do what she does. And that was over 20 years ago when we've been working together pretty much ever since. (laughs) I love it. That's such Um, a great story. (laughs) You know, and she really, I mean, I'd still say you don't love conflict, but you are much more willing to kind of recognize and get into it. Yes. I see the value in it for sure. Yes. And Um, how about you, Susan? Well, I, you know, for me, really where I became passionate about conflict was in my early twenties, I was diagnosed with an advanced cancer process and uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and it was, they diagnosed it late. And my medical team, you know, had, I went off to do a, a very, what's it called? Advanced? Advanced protocol that they were like, okay, this is, this is the one shot we have. And nine months into that treatment, I came back after doing some testing to hear how it was going. And my doctor looked at me and said, look, you know, it's not working. And honestly, as a medical team, we don't have any other solutions. And likely, you're the best case is you probably have three to six months to live. And I remember I was just like blown away. And I remember walking out of there thinking, I don't know, I don't know how to deal with this. But I also realized I've got nothing to lose. And so I started exploring all sorts of alternative healthcare, psychology, spirituality, nutrition. Now, it was interesting because what I learned pretty quickly is that none of these practitioners, the experts I was going to, particularly like talking to each other. As a matter of fact, they were categorically, oh, vehement that I was making bad decisions. My medical team didn't like what I was doing with alternative. My alternative team didn't like the medical team. And I had this experience of like, well, you're now on Project Susan. (laughs) You either talk to each other or else. I mean, I am kind of (laughs) grateful that I was kind of young and had nothing to lose because I really, you know, and I'm like, Project Susan. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, some of the, in some situations I really did get that, you know, it was pretty conflictual. It was hard to, to get them to talk to each other. And yet I do believe that eventually that is what led to, you know, I went through four or three other cancers. I kind of went to a variety of different medical institutes across the country and did all sorts of alternative things. And what I learned was how to have these tough conversations. And, and I became passionate about it, that really smart people 
don't particularly like to talk to each other because they're very smart people and already think they're right. But if someone like myself can get them to do it, really amazing things happen if they will come together. And it's outside of anyone's expertise. And that was really powerful for me to experience. So I became passionate about getting other people to realize that that's something that can change the world. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on, you know, getting through that and getting from that. It's certainly not an easy road and and you made it out (laughs) and stronger. Yes, Mm -hmm. I I am very grateful for that. So (laughs) So great. And so here both of you are with these amazing stories. You guys have, have banded together and you're doing some pretty awesome stuff. So I'd love to park there for a second and hear about the work that you're doing to add value to the healthcare ecosystem. Can you guys share a little bit about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting in this current phase that we're in because there's so much stress and emotional energy with COVID-19 and even the more recent, you know, the murder, the protests, the riots, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what more short-term what we've been doing is helping people deal with the stress that's come up. And what we recognized is that's what we do when we're helping people deal with conflict. Because when conflict happens in a boardroom or around an executive table, what that plunges us into is uncertainty. Because all of a sudden, I'm disagreeing with you. And wow, I feel really uncomfortable, that tension inside of me and between you and I. And I just want us to get to the right answer. (laughs) And I think I've got the right answer. And so people short circuit that situation. And so we have so many tools that we use and teach people how to actually hold for that stressful moment, to be interested in another, to actually speak up and be curious. So be vulnerable, be willing to reveal what you actually think, feel, and want. And then also be interested in the other person. And typically how this shows up when prior to COVID when we were doing is typically two-day offsites where we'd work with the leadership team. We'd help them develop some trust, teach them a communication model. And if we spent any time, we always focus on the smart side and the healthy side. So we do a little what we call healthy work, which is all the things that involve human dynamics. They're the things that decrease politics, confusion, turnover, but increase morale and productivity. The smart stuff is all the things that we've gone to school with or you know, finance, technology, operations, medicine. And so typically what we do is build a foundation of trust so people learn more about each other's styles. And then they don't take what's happening over there with the other person so personally. It can often be attributed to a style difference. And then we start talking about their strategy. And it's amazing how new and innovative solutions occur with just a little bit of work on the healthy side up front. And we started doing this virtually now in half-day segments to do the same work remotely. I'd also say that one of the things that happens in healthcare in particular, there's the administrative side of things, the business aspect of things. And then there's also the providers and people who are passionate about more the relational side of things. And there is usually a great deal of tension between relational work and results work, you know, business solutions and how to stay relational and compassionate in that. And so that's where we find that People who are really bright and smart, helping them understand that whatever strategy you have come to is simply your strategy. It's not a truth. It's something that's worth bringing to the table. So that's where we say you need to be vulnerable and say what you think, feel, and want. But you also have to realize that no matter how smart you are or how good you are at your strategy, 
you're not going to get to new and different possibilities until you can be curious and interested in someone else's. I mean, I think that's true even with your doctor, Susan, your yeah. radiologist said radiology, yeah. your mm-hmm. surgeon, you know. Well, that was often, they would come in as experts, which is what they're, you know, that's just it. We're paid to be experts in, in high business because you're paid to be an expert. The real sign of an expert is someone who recognizes that there are other experts in the room and there is not just one way to go about solving the problem. But unless you can tolerate that uncertainty, that's going to be hard to get to. Yeah, some great stuff here. And, you know, the style differences, just different approaches add some certainty to the uncertainty and probably makes the people you empower, you know, even better at what they do. Yeah, I think having a structure that we've used in hundreds and hundreds of teams and predictable results of going through, you know, this can bridge a gap when we know people's style. So it gives people something to hold on to and also a model. We have a model where we encourage people to check out their story and recognize we're always telling ourselves a story. We think that's what Susan was referring to. We think it's fact, but even based on a lot of data, it's still just a story. And can you be interested then in how this other person across the room put their world together and got to their story? Because that's when you start to It's just like in the brain, creativity happens when we can hold two paradoxical ideas, our brain fires new new connections. The same thing happens with humans sitting around a table. If we can hold for this, gosh, I don't know how you got to that opinion, um, new ideas emerge in the space. Yeah, it's awesome. It's fantastic. And it is all about new ideas and what's going to work in the new environment presented to us by, you know, COVID and the challenges that we've had. So maybe let's talk a little bit about how you've improved business results for some of the companies and leaders that you've worked with. Well, I I mean, one example, you know, we are often brought in when there's something new coming in, like a new technology, you know, one of the first clients we ever had, it was electronical. Patient records. Patient <laughs> Long records. Long time ago. And great idea. <laughs> very conflictual between one of the this particular hospital that was taking it on, between those IT experts, the healthcare providers themselves, the administrators that were putting in a lot of money and it just wasn't happening very fast. And uh, we were brought in primarily to help resolve the tension that was happening between that I, the IT experts and the medical providers. And it was, you know, helping them understand, you guys, you need to have a higher purpose here. You need to get to mutual purpose and you need to go back to it because you're, you're trying to do something that's new, but you each have very strong opinions about who it's going to help. So our job was to help them begin to see how they could resolve and get to a mutual purpose each time they got into conflict that was bogging down the entire system. All the way, take that to where now a lot of times we've been brought in when there's a new, a young upstart technology and or a new system like we worked with uh, um, in J&J with the Oh, the devices. The devices. It was a new device that was just a young, They it was a young company. They had a brilliant idea and a really big older company, I'll say more mature company, that mm. had sold things forever. And the tension between that sales force, that sales and marketing group, and this, you know, innovative group, because they had bought the company and it was merging together. And mm. um, they really needed to be able to have, they needed both skill sets for that to be a success with you know, going out into the broader, out into the world. So, and we really had to work with their cultural shift and combining these two innovative companies, crappy kind of making things happen to this old system that was that worked. And so, and how a lot of people get their 
nose banana joint <laughs> when you try to merge and people are saying, no, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. And so how to actually help each of them value the other and create this new company moving forward. Well, it's certainly important to get something like that happen. And it happens all the time. You know, were you, were you recently acquired? Is, yeah. is, this, an, you know, is this a yes. problem? Something exactly. to consider. Is there an opportunity for you to do better with, say, a negotiation? Because those things oh. can get out of hand too, right? I mean, yeah. something oh, sure. to consider, both internally if you're competing for resources or even externally working with partners and organizations. Uh, the, I guess the, the model that you guys use, tell us a little bit about it. I, you know, I would love to learn more about how it works and, and what makes it different and potentially even more productive than what's out there. Sure. So this is Chris Marie. We, you know, we create teams and typically if the team is having kind of mediocre results or there's politics or factions, you know that there's more horsepower than you're getting out of it. It reminds me actually, I was a rower and I, when I was in, on the national team, we weren't expected to meddle, but we, the team that we had, we trusted each other, we had each other's backs. And we went to the world championships. This is a little tangent, but it'll make sense. Sure, sure. We, we went to the world championships and the Russians had been dominant for years, over 15 years. And they were in lane one, which is smooth water, which is a, an asset when you're a rower. And we were all the way over on lane six, choppy water. And the race we started, the Russians took off and you know we were pulling along. Then halfway through the race, the coxswain said, we're moving on the Russians. And our boat picked up. And when we got to the end, Romania won gold, we won silver, but we were all so happy that we had beaten the Russians. We went to the, <laughs> the, we went to the dock and this um, Romanian woman picked me up in her arms and another US rover and said, ha, ah, we beat the mighty Russians. <laughs> now that the next year was an Olympic year in Seoul, Korea. And we had that year, I was injured. So I was last to get in the boat. Mm. We were, but the boat was different. We had factions, we had egos. I was injured. We made a month before the games, we made a last minute decision, bad strategic decision because we weren't actually having the right conversations about using an experimental boat. And oh. we came in a heartbreaking, we made it to the final, but came in a, a last in that heat, in that final. And that was just such a loud, a team. You can have two teams, same caliber of people. We didn't have better people, you know, higher. It was how we work together. And that's so mm. true in business, no matter what groups you're, you're dealing with. Oh, what a great call out. And so as we take this example and apply it to the model, tell us a little bit oh, about yeah. that. Like, what I was like, what was the original question he asked? <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's a so, great, and it's a, it's a great, it's a great example, right? And of this, and I've, I mean, I've, I've read a couple examples of this too, like in the Navy SEAL training, right? It, mm -hmm. All high caliber people, but it's about how they work together. So I would say, you know, People believe that when you get together around a, your vision that you're passionate about and you get smart people together and they're passionate and they care, that it's going to be, it's going to just be great. We're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. <laughs> but the reality of it is we're talking smart people who usually have been hired for their subject matter expertise and you're talking about passionate people and there's high stakes. Mm -hmm. And what happens is they get into right, wrong right away and pretty soon there's tension that builds up and we do not handle that tension well. And honestly, most of us have learned how to manage or diffuse the tension. When we first put out our book, one of the biggest lines in Harvard Business Review was learn how to manage conflict. And we were like, no, no, 
No, no, do not manage conflict. Get right smack dab into it. Because mm. we like, think conflict <laughs> is potential energy, potential creative energy that we're too quick to kind of get rid of. And too yeah. often people want to hire people to teach people how to ha- know the rules and what to say and how to say it right. And the reality of it is you're not probably going to get to those creative resolutions if you if you try to put too much containment on it. What you really have to learn how to do is create a space where people can speak up and maybe it's going to get messy, but there are things you can do in that to keep moving through it. And we talk about what happens is people opt out generally. And there are three styles in business that come up. There's the superstar who is like, okay, my team is not doing what they need to. I'm just going to take care of the business myself and they're going to thank me later. And they go off and do their own thing. And then you have somebody who's an accommodator like Chris Marie, who, you know. Well, I was more worried about harmony and relationships. So I'd go one-on-one like, oh, Saul, you know, I see that you're upset. Oh, and then I go to Susan. Oh, I see that you're upset. If you two were at odds, you know, I'm working all the back channels because I want to smooth things over. But I don't bring my own opinion into it. Accommodators often don't. <laughs> Unless it's a question. And yeah. then you might later end up, you know, regretting uh, that you get blamed. Right. Because, you know, but, oh, or, you know. And then there's the separators who usually are like, I've got other business that's really important right now. You guys are fighting about this. So, you know, I'm going to go off and take care of this other area that is important. Like, Each of these styles can be great for an individual contributor. However, when you're sitting around a table, you really don't want that to happen. You want, you want those people to get together and kind of get into that discomfort and let, it's almost paradoxical because you, it's almost a paradox because you don't want to just get to a solution too quickly because you need to be in that discomfort to get to something new. And we are so driven to get to, let's just take care of business. Like how many executive teams have I set with where it's like, really, we don't have time to have this conversation. (laughs) And we're like, you don't have time not to, because it's going to be better if you get more information out before you go. There, no, there's three areas that, of thinking about going, opting in, and that's the me. And that's where we talk about personal styles. Are you showing up vulnerably and real, saying what you really think? Or are you having the meeting outside the meeting? Because that's not healthy. Right. Um, and then there's the we. We call it the me, the we. The we is the relationships. How are you? Are you checking out your stories? Are you interested and curious? Are you listening? Because listening is a, a such an underrated, powerful tool to use. Especially in boardrooms. Yes. Sorry, I don't mean to insult anyone, but just <laughs> ask yourself the question. I have to ask myself, was I actually listening in that meeting or not? Because most you time know. we want to, people are chiming in for the next smart thing to say. They're not saying, hey, wait a minute, I didn't actually understand that. Or is this what you're saying? Blah, blah, blah. And reflecting it back. We don't slow it down. And when you slow it down, there, there's a lot of power that can come new ideas that can come. And then the last is the business, which is, those are the, when we talk about, these are high level questions like, what's our core purpose? What are our values? All the way down to what's most important right now, roles and responsibilities, how do we meet? And so taking care of all three of those is important. The me, the we, and the business. Too often, like what Susan was saying, people want to write, run right to the business and solve that problem. But if you take any time up front on what we call the healthy side, the me and the we, you're going to get much better business results, exponentially increased business results. It's been our experience. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, and, and um, we've got to be thinking about that with the right tools and the right frameworks and the right guidance, it's possible. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad we're having this discussion with you both today. What was is one of the biggest setbacks you've experienced? I feel like there's more in the setbacks. Like you mentioned, conflict is potential energy. 
and so are those setbacks. So tell us a little bit about a setback you've experienced and how that's made you guys even better. Well, I'm t- I was trying to think, you know, I'm, I'm going to use an example of a setback that was, we were working with the team and we thought it was a leadership team. And the leader was like, hey, we went in and worked with them and they, they had a lot of conflict around getting to their key clarity Strategy. pieces. And, and we, they kind of got there, but uh, we wanted to, we said to him, we said, look, you need to finish this conversation before we roll it out to the rest of your organization. And he said, okay, we, we are, we're going to do that. We got that. And about two weeks later, he was like, we need to roll this out now to the organization. We need to make this move. We can't just, it's time. And we said, well, did you guys finish having those discussions? We want to come in and make sure you're really clear before we do that. And he said, no, we don't have time for that. Let's just do this. And it was one of those times where we both looked at each other like, okay, oh, this is but not- we're not, <laughs> this may not be what it's going to be. And we, he brought in his whole organization. He was doing this big rollout and we were, he was putting the strategy out and the people, he said, so I really want to hear from people. And the, about whether you agree or disagree. And the first person that stood up was uh, totally disagreed and happened to be on that executive team. And it really was a moment where you could just see, uh-oh, this is a complete disaster. Like the leader had no idea that was coming. We were like, okay, this is exactly why we didn't want you to do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we had this quite vulnerable, real conversation right in front of the room. Like, okay, now you're going to see yeah. that um, how this goes because these guys are going to have to come up here and talk a little bit. And so they had, so we had to kind of organize this on the spot, not very pretty conversation amongst them about how they hadn't really listened to each other. They hadn't finished it. It ended up being incredibly powerful. Thanks to the vulnerability really of the main leader. Cause he said, I did not listen and I should have, and I should have come back to this, but now we're doing it here. So this, I feel much more raw and vulnerable, but you're all seeing it real time. And that actually transformed that whole organization. But at the time, it was one of the most awkward mm-hmm. half-day events we've ever done. <laughs> 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 you know? and it, but it changed oh, the team. They really knew. Because we talk about this idea of disagree and commit. Like when you sure. finish a discussion, you want to make sure, even if you initially disagreed, you know, as adults, we don't need to get our way, but we do need to feel heard and considered. And so we work with leadership teams to really make sure, not consensus, but people are heard. And then when you walk out that door, your words and actions align with the decision, meaning you don't say, well, they're making us do this. You actually back it up. So because otherwise, if you if you say, hey, the boss is making us do this, you undermine the trust and the leadership of that mm-hmm. team. So we really work to create that sense of alignment and commitment when you finish a discussion and you're all aligned. Mm-hmm. That's wow. powerful. Man, I, I just kind of, I was there in the room with you guys in <laughs> spirit and mind <laughs> in the story. And I'm just thinking, man, that was probably rough. It was. It was. <laughs> it was. But you know, those are the experiences, like you said, that are really the formative. most powerful. Yeah, they are formative. So, yeah. Um, especially if someone is willing to be vulnerable in that case, like he was, and every actually everyone on that leadership team, because they all were put on the spot during that time period, but they hung in mm-hmm. and they were real. So Because that could have gone bad. Oh, it oh really bad. It, yeah. It, and that's it, often, even in our leadership development, we really work with leaders to be able to handle those moments because that they don't happen. They happen like 1%, maybe 5% of the time. But if you can actually show up as a real person, you gain authority and connection and loyalty rather than trying to look good 
that undermines your connection and credibility. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. Wow. I I was going to tell you one other story that's probably a little more about us, I guess, is we, because we were all, we were speaking in a large crowd, you know, not, I mean, it was a few hundred people, I guess, a couple hundred people. And we were talking about our model and I can get, this is Susan, I'll just own that it was me. (laughs) I, I get very passionate about people getting how critical it is to understand that this model is transformative. If you, you can't really believe your own story, you need to make room for other people. And I was, and this guy in the back of the room questioned it and was, he was like, this is, this is really, we like to have people real time ask questions. Sometimes I think that's a mistake, but anyway, (laughs) he he stood up and he was very argumentative. I don't like this model. I don't understand why you're pushing on me. You've been really defensive. And I was like, I'm not defensive. This is really, I I was very defensive, but uh, at the time I was, and all of a sudden Chris Marie said, stop, you know, and she looked at me and she said, no, I'm, I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to you. Stop it. Like, what are you doing? And this is, we're on stage pretending. (laughs) <laughs> and I had this moment where it was just like, oh, I felt so embarrassed. And I thought, how can, you know, like, how are you doing this to me? Don't you think, look, he's the <laughs> He's the problem. But then yeah. I, had, I had one of those moments where I was like, no, this is all about you. And I remember I started, I got kind of teary. I was upset. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you're, you're right. I am being very righteous about my self, you know, this is very self-righteous about my righteous position about how you should communicate. And I got to own, I am way off base here. And I remember I was like teary and vulnerable and um, uh, it, it was. But you did also share the reason I'm so passionate because it's changed my life. It was, it was yeah. the thing that I attributed to mostly what, you know, was that my turnaround in my own health. And I said, like literally, I, right? Save literally, your yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, but I said, that's no reason for me to be as defensive as I have been in the last few minutes with you. And so I want to back up and own that. And, you know, we went on with our talk, but it wasn't until later that, you know, he came up to me and he said, nothing you could have ever said would have had the impact on me other than what you did. And it really did remind me of so often that is the case. If we can just, you know, drop the guard, the armor, and the, you know, how do I do this right Mm -hmm. to how do I do this real? And that is very hard to get to in the business world. But yeah, when we're paid for having the right answer, you know, even school taught us that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I still don't want to relive that moment, but I would (laughs) if I had to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. No, you know, and folks, as you reflect on our discussion, you've got to think about this for yourself. You know, the, the point that Chris, Marie and Susan are making is don't think about doing it right. Do it real. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you and your organization and your empathy as a leader. And then, you know, to what Chris Marie said is conflict is potential energy. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you what that energy will be used for. Mm -hmm. So some great, great opportunities here and and lessons that you guys are are, uh, (laughs) showing us. What are you both most excited about today? You know, I think there's such an opportunity with what's happening in the world right now if we can actually slow down and be curious, vulnerable, you know, feel our feelings about what's happening and actually be interested about another person. And that can be taken in a micro level in your relationship, in your business, and in your communities. And it's such an opportunity for change if we don't get caught in the in our right position, but be open and interested in what's happening with other people. 
And for me, I'd say, you know, very similar. And I'll also kind of put it like healthcare right now, it's such a vitally important part of who we are and what we are, how we're going to be, you know, and I think healthcare has an opportunity kind of, you know, I look at what's happening around racism, but I also think that's also a big factor in healthcare and how we, how things have occurred where we maybe have left large groups of people marginalized and what are we going to do to undo that? And those are going to be some tough conversations that is going to happen at the administrative level. It's going to happen, you know, in social care and healthcare and a bar and mental health. And those are big, broad groups that are going to have to somehow talk to each other and mm-hmm. deal with each other. And that's not going to be easy. Especially yeah. if they're worried about just surviving. Yeah. So when we get worried about just surviving, we're not so interested in other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's what we find. We're helping people get out of that survival mentality and more be able to listen and hear others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some, some great opportunities today and moving forward. You know, the decisions that we make in the next year mm-hmm. are going to be formative especially because of what's going on. And so this has been a ton of fun. <laughs> you guys are fun to chat with. <laughs> We've liked and, it. and it's effective work. And so mm. I'm also a believer that the best at what they do, do so with coaching. And, you know, and somebody that's seeing it from the outside um, that's had experience and success in whatever that you're looking to get better at. And if you're an executive, whether a provider executive or, or an industry executive, there's no doubt in my mind that you are experiencing conflict. And um, if you think that there's an opportunity to take to the next level, the invitation to check out the work of this amazing team is there. And so I'll open it up to you, Chris, Marie, and Susan, to just leave us with the closing thought. And then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation with both of you. Sure. And I, I, I just so agree with, as an athlete, I could never have done what I did because I wasn't an athlete in high school and getting mm-hmm. to the Olympics, I could not have done that without coaching. Right. And I so believe that that is helpful and it helps the coaching that I do, we do individually, one-on-one, is, helps people increase their influence and make a, make a bigger stamp on the world. So I think that's really powerful. And do you want to say, and then I'll tell them how they can get a hold of us. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll give you my mantra that has walked me through life for a long time, which is, you know, Susan, remember, it's not what you do, it's what you do next. And this is where, you know, in moments where I have made big faux pas or, you know, in my high defensive state, been able to go, oh, it's not what I just did, it's what I do next that counts. And that has helped me show up real more often than anything else. So it helps me to remember that. And you can find us at our website, Thrive Inc. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com, thriveinc.com. And we're also on LinkedIn and and have our podcast, The Beauty of Conflict, which is on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. Beautiful. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I I certainly enjoyed it. Maybe we should make it an every six month or year thing. (laughs) We would love it. (laughs) Um, listeners make sure you check them out the beauty of conflict it's a book it's a podcast company it's it's just an incredible group of leaders there uh, with chris marie and susan that are helping companies like yours and organizations like yours thrive with conflict and so i can't thank both of you enough for coming on really appreciate it thanks so much Saul. we loved it yeah 